We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com we are breaking down all aspects of Yankee baseball. This is the Bronx Pinstripe Show with your hosts, Andrew Rotondi and Scott Reinen. Let's go. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Bronx Pinstripe Show. Scott, I don't know if you feel that in the air. Yeah, I think it's not the Seattle air. It's not that humid, damp Seattle air. It's not the pot smoke and the grunge music, which I believe I offended the city of Seattle back in like 2013 or something. Throwback to the the Bronx Pinstripes blog that that crashed our website. (laughs) But what is in the air is concern, my friend. How's it going this morning? It's going all right. Yeah, there's concern. There's no doubt concern. I I, I don't appreciate it being uh, in Seattle when when it really manifests to the to the top or it comes to the top here. First of all, the the whole Jeter doc has been resurfacing some painful memories about Seattle and, and very much uh, reinforcing the reason why I don't like that team or that franchise. And and now the, the Yankees uh, just lost the series to them and just not playing well. The offense is sputtering big time. Um, and the pitching is, for the most part, okay. For the most part, okay. But but Boone's back to being Boone, doing things that are driving me nuts, uh, and and the offense again still hasn't picked it up. Hope th- thankfully Rizzo's back, but you know what do you expect from him after being out for as long as he is uh, and popping back in? He's not going to be a he's not going to be a, a knight in shining armor, not yet. He's got to get his feet underneath him. Um, but yeah, man, this is this is uh, this is concerning. The the team is not playing well, not playing well at all, not playing well against 
competition you could likely face in October, not playing well in games that are close and late situations. And to go back to your boon take from last episode, um, you, you were getting, I don't know if you saw the Instagram comments and stuff, you were, you were getting some, some crap for your take there. But I think a situation that really highlights the fact is Boone's decision on Wednesday afternoon to go to Abreu in a high leverage spot in the seventh inning and not go to some other pitchers that were supposedly available, Efros and Wandy Peralta, two guys he mentioned were available after the game because we know Chapman and Clay Holmes were not available. He went to Abreu, who has been awful with inherited runners. Six of nine inherited runners have scored off of Abreu this year. Um, and that's 67%. The league average is 32%. So, so I, you know, fine, say small sample size, but when it's, it's that bad, maybe try and do something else. You've got Suarez and Santana coming up. I just think Efros is, is the play there. I know Boone was saying, oh, Efros was going to be my closer, but that flies in the face of some other things that they've said where, Oh, we're going to use Clay Holmes in high leverage spots, and we're not going to have a dedicated closer. We're gonna we're gonna pick our spots with our with our high leverage arms to to squash the game when you have the opportunity. That was the moment in the seventh inning right there, and he went to Abreu and he gave up the home run to Santana, and, and, and that was it. Yeah, fine. Blame the umpire for maybe missing a call on Hanniger. Blame whoever you want, but in my, I'm blaming Boone for that decision because that's a bad call to bring in Abreu there. How many teams has Abreu been on this year? And I'm not talking about a trade deadline uh, person. Three teams. He's been on three teams. The Royals released him. The Texas Rangers released him. And now he's with the Yankees, who he was not, uh, uh, also a part of. This is a guy that should not be, uh, you know, I know he's pitched much better with the Yankees than he has all year. There's no doubt he has. But when you have a high leverage situation like that, if you're deeming X person as your closer, before the game, before this is this is going back to some like Joe Girardi binder shit. Like, what are we doing? You need to put your best pitcher out there. None of these guys are are a closer. You can't deem somebody as a closer until you get to that situation. How about we get to that situation where a game can be closed, and then you exactly. you look at who's out there or try to get you know at least an inning closer to it. But for for him to I to. For, for him to even use that as the excuse afterwards is what's driving me nuts too. It's like that was the mindset. The mindset is I didn't use the best guy available at that moment because I'm going to use him as my closer. That that assumes that we're getting to that inning and that assumes that the Yankees have a lead in the in the ninth inning to use your your best pitcher at that point. And that makes no sense to me. Yeah, exactly. What if what if you bring Efros in in the seventh inning and he gets out of that jam? And and I understand they probably didn't want to go to Wandy Peralta because Santana actually is a much better hitter from the right side. He's got an 802 OPS as a right-handed batter. So you want to keep him on the left side. Fine. Bring in Efros, who's that's going to be a good favorable matchup. And then you get out of that inning. Who knows? Maybe the Yankees tack on a run or two, and it's lower leverage for for Abreu in the eighth or the ninth inning. There's just too many things, too many variables. When we're talking about, like you said, we're talking about none of these guys are deemed closers. This is your bullpen available today. Just try and fit the puzzle pieces in the right spots for that day and then get to the next day. The other thing you're looking at is Wandy Peralta is a guy that's 
that is trusted. Would you would you agree with that? He's also he's also Much a guy that Abreu. He's also a guy that that can go a little bit more than an inning. Like this, he's a guy that that is trusted that can get out of jams. Like I I absolutely would would have uh, the confidence to put him in that spot in a in a quote uh, in a quote closer spot if needed. It's not like he can't do that. You've seen Efros for two weeks. You, you you have more confidence in him doing that than you do Wandy Peralta. It just it just doesn't add up to me. And the problem is it's it's actually not even so much about the individual and looking at who can do what in a in a given moment. It's the fact that the pre-made plan, the 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 plan going into it was this guy's not going to be available until the ninth inning uh, when we have a lead. And that makes no damn sense because he's not your guy in the back end. He's not Araldis Chapman. He's not Clay Holmes. He's not one of those guys that you could in the back there. So why are you designating someone for a, a particular situation when that situation may not even happen? It doesn't make any sense. Boone's comments after the game also call some other things into question. He did not mention Lucas Lickie's name. Lucas Lickie has not pitched since August 2nd at home against the Mariners. So if you're not pitching for nine days, what's the point of having him on the roster? Why is he Why is he traveling with the team if he's going to go nine days without pitching? He also didn't mention Johnny Loisaga, who I understand did pitch uh, recently. But if he's not going to be trusted in a situation um, and, and he, he's deemed unavailable for medium to high leverage spots, then like why is Marinaccio pitching in Scranton? Why, why why not have Loisga figuring his crap out in Scranton and have Marinaccio, who's been a real contributor to this bullpen this year, pitching in high leverage spots? It just doesn't add up. It doesn't. Loisga does have an option, so that 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 situation is available. Marinaccio, the way that he's been the way that he's been pitching, he has been used and trusted in high leverage situations, and he's pitched well throughout the year. So it, it again, it does not make sense. Uh, that, that's a Cashman thing, and why he's down, and why uh, you know why the other. But if we're not using Licky, I don't get why Licky hasn't pitched. If Licky's not pitching since August second, what are we doing? Like, okay, he he's there. He should be available. He's a guy that you've seen for for multiple years now. You know who he is. You should be able to uh, have him come in and be used in in some situations, but not available and, and just holding another guy back because you have a, a small bullpen for whatever reason. It's just not adding up, man. And this just it does it does culminate from what I was talking about. On the last episode, is these little these little boonisms now are are getting magnified. They're getting magnified, and this is what happens when a team is struggling. When and when everything is going well, it's gravy. You know, hey, he'll get it next time. He'll get it the next day. He's just giving them a leash. All of the all of the things that that are are there for us to throw support behind our skipper. But when you get a a, a, str- a struggling team against the competition that is you're po- very possibly going to be seeing in the playoffs, making some bonehead decisions or making you know some of these uh, these nonsensical moves that that just you're looking for the reason why and 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 just some decent decent reasoning behind it. Even if it doesn't work, give me some decent reasoning behind it. And and that's where I'm starting to see more and more of it. And and it's it's uh, it's it's driving me crazy. I I tweeted the other day. It's hard to believe this team was once on a 120 win pace because of how bad they've played over this recent stretch. And someone commented in the first two months of the season, they found ways to win games. And right now they're finding ways to lose games. And that's no more evident than this, the last two losses. We just highlighted how they found a way to lose the Wednesday game by some bad decisions by their manager. And then the night before, they found ways to 
completely run themselves out of scoring chances on the base paths. So they just found a way to lose that 13 in game on Tuesday night. The, uh, the, the base running on that, on that given day, that was, first of all, appreciate the uh, 13 inning, uh, West coast start. Thanks guys for, for everybody on the East coast. That was, uh, that ruined our lives for a couple of days. The, um, yeah, there, there, there were some, there were some, definitely some, some bonehead moves there. There was also you see the aggressiveness behind bonehead moves that that didn't work out. The whole with IKF trying to get to second base, um, and uh, and and getting tossed there, man. I so I know you hate the base running thing, and you have a you have a very you have a big problem with um, with some of the the decisions that are made on the base path and why executing, and I'm and I'm on the other side of it, it where I like them pushing the envelope. But but it absolutely rears its ugly head when it doesn't work. When it doesn't work, and you have aggressive base running, and you're getting thrown out uh, on a more consistent basis, then it looks very bad. So if you're not executing while being aggressive, it looks sloppy, and it looks it just looks like piss poor baseball, and and just like you know little league shit. Uh, but the other side of it is when you are being aggressive, pushing the limits. That's when you can make things happen. So. I'm on the. I'm still on the fence. I'm. I'm not killing the team for being aggressive on the base paths. Uh, to what Boone mentioned in the, I think post game, he's like, we want to be aggressive. We just gotta. We just gotta be smarter. Well, you know, that's instinctual. When you're being aggressive, you're relying on the instincts of your of your of your base runners at that point. Uh, so being smart is, you know, I don't know how much you could kill a guy. He's reading a situation and he's reading what what he sees in front of him, and he's got the green light. So don't give him the green light if you don't want him to make those decisions. Let me ask you a question. What do you consider to be aggressive base running? Because the Yankees have been praised this year for their quote unquote aggressive base running. What do you, how do you define that? Um, not being conservative, being, you know, taking some chances, taking risks. I think aggressive base running is at, at the, at the end of the day, risky. It, it's a, it's a risky way to play baseball, but what it does is it it forces the defense to make plays where they wouldn't have to. So it puts them in situations where they also have to react and make quick plays and execute quickly. So if you're being aggressive, you're forcing, you know, the defense into also an uncomfortable situation, which in a lot of times good things can happen or you're you're catching them sleeping or you're um, taking advantage of of missteps. So that's what I deem aggressive. I, th I think you're, and, you're and taking that can, additional risk. And that can come in the form of stolen bases or trying to advance an extra base on a on a hit ball, trying to score from first on a double, those sorts sorts of things, right? Of course. And yeah. uh, even, could, even the IKF play, like you, you get a guy in the rundown on third base and he's trying to get to the second base so he's in scoring position. The thought there is right. I like the thought there. The execution was bad. The, the runner, uh, you know, uh, I think it was Trevino, got, got caught and he got tagged way too fast and, and IKF was, uh, was, was hung out to dry on that one. So, so it's, again, reading the situation where, where are, there's a lot, a lot of things happening in that moment. And if you don't read it correctly while being aggressive, you're going to look dumb. So I, I asked the question because I think for most people, they just look at stolen bases as being aggressive because that's like a very easy thing to quantify. The Yankees have 41 stolen bases, which is fourth most in baseball in the season. They also have 22 caught stealings, which is sixth most in the league. And in the first half of the, the season, 
the numbers were were looking pretty good. 63 um, stolen bases, uh, third in baseball, and 14 caught stealing. And then since the All-Star break, it's been a 50-50 split, basically. Eight stolen bases, eight caught stealing. So it, it, it's just, it's just uh, you know, that was clear that there's what for whatever reason maybe it's just bad decisions since the also like fine you want to call the all-star break as as the turning point but i look at other things and and we we pulled some of these these different base running metrics you might probably classify base running metrics in the defensive metrics category where it's like okay well how how much stock are we really going to put into these things but none of the base running metrics are too favorable on the yankees for uh, weighted stolen base runs, which is something that estimates the number of runs a player contributes to his team by stealing bases, the Yankees rank 11th in baseball. For ultimate base running, which is um, a fan graphs metric, which kind of uh, is the value a player adds to their team via base running on non-stolen base plays, so things like going first to third, the Yankees are 27th in baseball. And then ultimate base running, uh, BSR, uh, is an all-encompassing base running stat, which also includes stolen bases, taking extra bases, but also caught stealings. The Yankees rank 22nd in baseball. So I just think their aggr- quote-unquote aggressive base running has been completely overrated this year. And I feel like I've been talking about this for weeks. And how many times do I have to watch them try and double steal, get the trail runner thrown out, that kills an inning, try and advance uh, or just be stupid on a line drive like Andujar. Dude, it's a line drive. You go back to the bag. You you do not take two steps to third base and then get picked off. Just stupid base running plays. It's a line drive. You don't go back to the bag. You don't go forward. You freeze. You you stop moving and you see what happens and then you react. But yes, the the uh, I don't know, man. Like I'm, you're right. With the first thing you said about the metrics, very very flimsy data in my opinion on on a small amount of information that you can kind of shift in, in a, in a way that you want. I mean, so that, so that would also say that, you know, if you have a low amount of attempts, but high execution that you're, you're favored on those metrics, because it sounds like the aggressiveness actually takes away. It hurts you on those metrics because of, if you're aggressive and, and, and you make but, mistakes, yes, uh, but absolutely. that's the whole point. That's it's not making runs off the board. Potentially. It's not making mistakes necessarily. It's being aggressive and pushing the envelope and and taking more risks. So yes, when you're taking more risks in in uh, in base running, you're gonna see the downside of that too. It's part of the. It's part of it. It is part of it. The other thing you can do, you can you can say is sit on your hands and don't do those things. Don't push the envelope. Don't push the runners. And are you saying that we would score more runs if they just sat on their ass and didn't didn't run around? We'd be yelling, run the run the bases, be aggressive. We would be on the other side of this. When it doesn't work, again, it looks egregious and it looks bad because when you're being aggressive, you're trying to take something away from the other team at the end of the day. You're trying to take take advantage of a situation. And either the defense is going to look bad or you're going to look bad. One, so, But somebody's going to look bad in a, in a situation like that. You know, with Rizzo stealing third, uh, you know, off of, a, off of a pitcher's move. One of those... Someone's looking bad in that situation, whether it's Rizzo or the or the the pitcher and the defense. But someone's getting exposed on on a play like that, and and so yeah, I, I understand why there's a downside of that. They're not traditional base dealers. I think if those metrics would be very different if we had you know uh, a, a traditional base dealer on our if we had a, a Cedric Mullins on this team who was just swiping bags, 
you would see much different stats because that's just what he does and he plays every day. So you're getting a, a much cleaner result from a stat like that. But you're getting on our on the Yankees, you're getting like guys like Rizzo or or you know whomever it is out there trying to push limits and take advantage of uh, situations. And again, you can look exposed if if you get if you are not correct on a given situation. I mean, maybe I just sound like I want my cake and eat it too. You do that expression a little but, bit, but. But why is it too much to ask for Benintendi to not get caught trying to steal third with zero outs in the 10th inning? That's a dumb move. That to me right there, that that's a good, I, you look at that, that was a bad read on Benintendi's part. He did not read the pitcher well at all. He he got, he, the pitcher duped him. I mean, that's what happened. The They were obviously, you know, they called it out. I'm sure there was a play uh, called by the catcher where they were looking at Benintendi, thought he was going to go and, and. And uh, and and so they they were able to to pick him off based on the uh, the deception in the delivery, and he was caught. I mean, he was just caught with his pants down. He read it wrong. It was a bad base running move. Yeah. So I I mean, again, I I've I don't want him this, to be hesitant though. If he sees something, I want him to run. I want them to be smart in a situation and and coach their players to where you've got the the fake runner on second base to start the tenth inning. You. You can't be stupid aggressive in that moment. You just can't, especially when it's a nothing-nothing game and runs are are coveted at that point. You can't make that mistake. So, yes, there comes a time where you have to sit on your hands and be conservative in situations. If your players are not going to be smart enough to pick their spots when they're aggressive, then you as a coaching staff need to tell them you cannot run in this situation. Yeah, and that's and that's where that's where I very much disagree with what you're saying because they're not going to do that. They have these guys. If they get thrown out in an isolated, like that was a bad read. That was a bad play by Benintendi because he should not have gotten picked off. Uh, you know, he's he should be making damn sure that the, the uh, that uh, that he goes to home plate. If he does not go to home plate, like there's no reason for him to be moving because he's on second base. You're right, but in a zero zero situation, nothing has been happened. They're trying to make something happen. Try to get to third base so that you could score on a non hit. I understand why they're doing it. You could still do that. You're on second base with no outs. You could still manufacture a run in that situation. There is, even if he steals second base or steals third base standing up, I'm sorry, that's a stupid play in that situation. Why? Because they haven't gotten anything going all day long. If If you get to third base, if you have an opportunity and you see something and you get to third base with no outs, now you have two attempts to get home without a hit. Yeah. And it's a risk on a day that you've been shut out. On a day that you've been shut out all day long, you're trying to scrap a run across in any any way. Look, I'm not I'm not defending Benatendi in that moment. Benatendi's got to be a smarter base runner and make damn sure that he's reading the correct, uh, he's making the correct read on the pitcher. Because when when if that goes wrong, it's egregiously bad. It's egregiously bad. But if you can get that, and that's where that's where the trust lies. And maybe maybe that's 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 him being a bad base runner in that moment. And he's got to make a better decision in that moment and make a better read in that moment. But I understand the risk. You haven't gotten shit done all day long, all day, like for an extended period of time, more than nine innings even. And you're trying at, for in, in any way to get a guy in scoring position with less than two outs. And, and you would have had two attempts with, with some bats coming up to scrap a run across, essentially steal a run. And that I understand what they're trying to do. It just was not executed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. 
Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Maybe there was a green light for the team because things were going well. But now once you've seen things kind of not go well, you have to take maybe it's a yellow light now for for some guys. You have to you if have, you're yellow, what are you doing then? What are you stuck in the mud? You're like you you're indecision. So you're either green or you're red. Fine, then maybe you give some guys some red lights because you when you keep making mistakes and they're costing you. Like this is not an isolate you said isolated situation. It's it's been a handful of times over the past two weeks that have cost them games, very clearly cost them games and cost them run scoring situations. I understand that. The 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 other thing is that you're looking at individual players. So are you giving a red light to the team? Are you giving because it's not like you, if you if you're saying that to one person, you're calling out that that player or giving so giving a red light. I mean, light I think it's a red light player. in situations. I think you you have to understand situations and maybe in the tenth inning uh, of a of a nothing nothing game with zero outs, you give Benintendi the red light. And if it were someone else on second base, they would get the red light too. But then maybe there's green lights in other situations. And, and if you're up by a run or, or, or it's the middle of the game and you can afford to be a bit more aggressive and put pressure on the opposing team and then force them into making mistakes, because we did see that happen in the first half of the season and it was to their benefit. I agree. I'm acknowledging that. Then you do it. But when but when the team has been struggling to score runs and the aggressiveness is now not helping you score runs is actually making it hard, even harder for you to score runs. The coaching staff needs to step in. You understand you're saying something that's completely contradicting what you're saying too, though, right? It's like you're, you're struggling to score runs. So you're trying to find any way to score a run. Like it's, but it's not helping what you're saying. I, if it were helping, then fine. But it's not helping. It's hurting them. They already are hitting you're with looking runners at the in scoring position. They're yes, already not the hitting result. with runners in scoring position. Okay. And it's been weeks of this. It's not a small sample that we're talking about. The team has played like absolute crap for a month and a half. Okay. Yeah. So it's a month right. and a half of struggling to score runs. Mm-hmm. And and now what you're doing is you're taking at-bats away with runners in scoring position. So you already can't hit with runners in scoring position. Now you're just giving the team extra outs. If Benatendi steals that base clean, are you saying anything? What are you saying? Yes, at that of point? course, because I said it in the first half of the season when Rizzo was doing it as well. I said, yes, it worked, but I don't like it. I, I've said this the entire season. I've been pretty consistent on this fact. I I, I know, but you're you're also bitching about it when it's not working. And, of course, and that's, like that's, that's easy to do. That is my job. Okay, but that, that is, is but that's easy why to do. this podcast you, exists. You, you, and I'm, I have to go the other side of it because I believe it. You have when you look at the aggressive base running, you can't just turn it off and on. If guys are not reacting in real time and using their instincts, then then you're screwed. You just can't be aggressive as a team. If you are if you are leaning on them 
to uh, to use their instincts and you have the trust in them to do these things, you're going to have to take the lumps. You, ha- you have to take the lumps in the, if you have that approach. That's just the nature of the beast. You're not going to have, it's going to be a, a lower execution rate percentage because you're being more aggressive. It is a riskier way to move. And when you're not scoring runs, like you said, team's been struggling. You're trying to do things to get a, a team fired up. You're trying to get a team in, in different situations so that they can execute in different ways. Because guess what? The, the old fashioned way of just hitting people in ain't working. It ain't working for this team right now. So they're trying to be a little bit more aggressive. And maybe that's to their point, to your point, maybe they're being a little too aggressive in some of those moments and they could dial it back a bit. But I do not want Boone to go in there and say, red light, green light, green light, red light to anybody in situations like that. If you are going to be an aggressive base running team, you got to own these mistakes and you got to, you got to learn from them and be better. But I don't want you to be less aggressive. I don't want that, like that quick twitch muscle to go away when you see something or, or make you hesitant because that's how you get thrown out every time. If they're not aggressive, they're not feeling that, that, that instinctual moment to go on the, on the very, very first thing that they see that they believe is the right read, then they're screwed. So yeah, it is kind of like, I want my cake and, and, and eat it too, but you got to have that mentality. If you don't have that mentality and you're trying to be an aggressive team, it ain't going to work. Do you envision a breaking point for you on this? I mean, sure. There'll be, I'm sure there'll be individual breaking points, but now I have to, now I, now it is my job. (laughs) Now it is my job. There's been a line drawn in the sand to watch every single aggressive move that works out and and write it down so See, that I can call it this out. Is, this, is why, this, this is why it's- Now it is my job to prove you wrong. And, and I hope the guys cooperate. This is why the podcast is both good and bad because, because <laughs> there's also a part of us that just wants to be right. And so you, you're going to be stuck on your stance. I'm going to be stuck on my stance. Well, I also, I just, I like the style of baseball. I like aggressive I like baseball. it too. I like it. So I, I want them to continue and I want it to work. But you, I mean, look, to your point at a, at a certain level, if it's not working overall, then you have to dial it back and make adjustments as a team. And as, as I a just gave you metrics to say staff. it's not working. Okay, so use again. Fine, if, if you want to throw out those these... metrics in a half of a season with like some horseshit numbers against other horseshit numbers, fine. You can you can look at that. I'm comparing horseshit numbers to horseshit numbers in a small sample size. I don't know what you want from me. I mean, like you want me to believe in these analytics, but you give me some bullshit ones that that like I'm not just... giving you bullshit ones. They're actually pretty consistent. All of the base running advanced base running metrics rank the Yankees middle of the pack to bottom of the league. Okay, so if one that, of them but, but ranked I'm, them near the top and the others ranked them near the bottom, then maybe you could say, okay, this is inconsistent. Sort of an, an example being the defensive metrics on IKF, right? Where it's like StatCast was not favorable on him, but but Fangraphs was, or maybe it was the other way around. So maybe you're just like, okay, well, I'm going to throw these out because they're contradicting one another, and I'm going to use my eyes to see what they, they tell me. But when my eyes tell me the Yankees are making too many outs on the bases, and then I go to the nerd stats, and they also say the Yankees have not been a good base running team, what am I to believe? Can we can we look at, Logan, for one, when we're looking at the sample size here, are we seeing uh, teams like the Yankees who are being more aggressive. And I don't know how you even look around baseball and say, oh, this team's more aggressive. That team's more aggressive. Maybe attempts or like the the total amount. I don't know. But are those teams getting hurt by these stats? I would venture to say that they are if you're, if you're on the more aggressive side, because you're going to see more of the downside because it is a riskier play. And that's what I'm saying that the numbers probably don't call out. Logan, you had something to say? Yeah. So, I mean, looking at the stats when I was pulling all the numbers, I, I know that in most of these where the Yankees ranked, they ranked with some of the uh, 
not as good teams. They didn't rank up there with the Astros and the Mets. It was one, but um, that they ranked up with the Mets. But, you know, I, looking at it, you know, the weighted stolen base uh, runs, which is basically just stolen bases, but uh, they were third in baseball until the All-Star break. And now since then, they've been the worst in baseball. And I think, okay. and, and I think that's, that's shown in the... Um, they were they had 63 stolen bases before the All-Star break with 14 caught stealings, which was 20th least in baseball, so kind of middle of the pack, to eight stolen bases, which is average middle, but eight caught stealings. So they definitely, something has changed. This isn't just, I, I, I kind of uh, walk a fine line in between both of you in the fact that I like they're being more aggressive. I, I agree with you, Scott, but last year they played slow pitch softball. They just went base to base to base and it and it didn't work. I mean, yeah, you no, heard Luke calling them slow donkeys. Yes, it was terrible. But That's not I what think, I want either, okay? They're, no, I know. So so we're looking at those stats when they when, again, when you're aggressive and it worked, you're they're favorable to you, but when it's when it's when it's not working as many times and that's the nature of being aggressive on the base path, like you're going to have the downside of it. So I think we're seeing as you mentioned the downside of it, because recently they have been opting good. No doubt about it. They need to clean it up. I'm not well, saying they need to be, but I don't want them to be less aggressive. I want them to make smarter decisions. Yes, exactly. Be, That's the point. Smarter be decisions. Be smart and aggressive. Like they don't. Okay. Why is it like, oh, this team has to go from being slow donkeys on the base path where they're just station to station to just running blindly into outs. Like why are those the two ends of the spectrum here? Where's the middle ground? Where is the aggressive but smart base running. I, I don't know why it's too much to ask for a professional baseball team with some of the best players on the planet to just do that. Because, I know we're spending a lot of time on this freaking topic, but be, the reason is, is because when you're being aggressive in those moments, outside of a, a straight stolen base, right? That's just mano y mano, essentially. But outside of that, someone is getting exposed. Someone is getting exposed. And guess what? The other side that's getting exposed are also professional baseball players and also playing professional defense. So if you have those guys not being, someone's not going to execute in that given moment. And recently, it has not been working out for the New York Yankees. They have not been making the right reads. They have been put in situations where the defense is taking advantage of that because they are are, are just not making smart reads on the base path. First half of the year, you could, you could go the other way. You didn't like it because it was it was like barely working, kind of working, but that's what aggressive base running feels like. It feels wrong, but when it works, you're like, yes, it's amazing because I because I feel like I just got one up on the other team. Like they're idiots. Like I can't believe they fell for that. But when it doesn't work, you look like, oh my gosh, we're idiots. What are we doing? So I I I see both sides, but but that is the nature of being aggressive. Um, last thing on this topic, Logan, can you pull up that leaderboard that you were referencing for the individual player base running stats and how the Yankees, you know, who was the best base running runners on the team versus who who were below average? Yeah, so I, I have it right here. Uh, that that weighted stolen base uh, is, I think, pretty good, and also the the UBR is pretty good, and they seem to kind of mirror each other in similar ways. So. Um, according to weighted stolen base, like Judge has a 1.3, which is good. And Judge has been successful until that uh, caught stealing in Seattle on, I believe it was Wednesday. Uh, No, it was Tuesday. Um, IKF, he grades out as a good base runner. And then after that, Aaron Hicks is um, just a a bit above average, which me and Andrew were talking before the show. That that feels right. I mean, I, I don't think Aaron Hicks has done anything 
too bad. But then Donaldson, Rizzo, Glaber, and LeMahieu all grade out poorly. You know, and, I, and, who's, and who's the surprising one there for you, Scott? It's Rizzo, right? Surpri- Rizzo being a poor, grading out poorly is surprising because Rizzo no, it's has, not surprising to me because not he's surprising? not going to go first. No, because some of the other sides of the this this metric going first to third, taking the, he's doing it in moments where he's trying to get one up. Like that is very clear. Rizzo actually is the reason why you hate this stat because it doesn't look like the guy's running in quicksand. He should not be doing these things. He's trying to take advantage of something that he sees in front of him. So yeah, he is that, bucking and, the system. But I thought Rizzo just you wanna, looking you at You want to put a little bit less aggressive on Rizzo? Fine. You want to put a little less aggressive on LeMayu? Fine. Those guys probably shouldn't be as aggressive. I want IKF to be aggressive. I want Hicks to be aggressive. I want Judge to be aggressive. I want everybody at the top of that lineup minus uh, LeMayu to be aggressive. If you have wheels, I want you to be aggressive and push the limits. If you're if you're a quote slow donkey or if you're 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 carrying extra baggage, Rizzo's just trying to be smarter than everybody and take it. That's what he is. Exactly. That's why he takes advantage that's of those what, situations. That's what I thought Rizzo was. I thought Rizzo was a good base runner in the sense that he could read balls off the bats. He would get good jumps. So he could go first to third, even though he's never going to win a foot race against anyone. That's what, in my mind, is more valuable on the base paths than just blazing speed, stealing bags. Okay? Like, that's the reason why uh, Brett Gardner was so frustrating for so long. He was faster than anyone on the team, but he couldn't steal a bag for his life because he could never get a good jump on a pitcher. But there were other things he could do well, like score from first on a double down, down the line. Okay? And there were guys on the Yankees for years who were never the fastest base runners, but... When there was a bloop, they knew it was going to be a bloop and fallen, and they would go first to third. And that is what is going to provide you more value at the end of the day than stealing an extra bag. Here is why these these numbers, again, don't totally check out for me. Rizzo being bad on there, I understand that. Probably a very small sample size. And, and when he gets thrown out, it's egregious, especially in the numbers. When you're looking at IKF, I bet if you polled a lot of Yankee fans, one of the more frustrating base runners that they would probably qualify would be IKF. I bet they would say that because of the way he get he got he got picked off in a big moment. He got thrown out going to second base, trying to uh, trying to like that looks dumb in the moment when you're seeing it. it. He's thrown out by a mile. Anytime you get thrown out by a mile, it looks terrible. So, but he's graded as one of the better. Why? Because he's 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 leading the team in stolen bases, right, uh, Logan? I think he was last time I looked. And it's he's the he is the base runner on he's the base stealer on this team. Yes, so but he's he also does other things situations. on the bases than other stealing bases. You're right. He has made egregious errors. It's kind of the same way for him in the field. He makes routine plays challenging and will boot them. And and that looks really bad. But then he makes a lot of other plays, a lot of tough plays. On the bases, he makes a lot of good plays that kind of just go under the radar unnoticed. But then you notice him getting picked off because it's impossible yes. not to notice someone Same getting picked Same with Rizzo. Off. How do you not identify and, and re- notice when he's doing something that he shouldn't be doing, like stealing a bag or running first of yeah. third in quicksand? So I'm just telling you, when you see these aggressiveness, when you see the aggressiveness in, in certain players, it, it becomes uh, a larger, a larger uh, head case for our fans because it doesn't look right. And that's hard to swallow. So I know uh, we got to move forward. Past spent the base so much time on this. The the <laughs> Cole Castillo pitchers duel was a playoff like atmosphere, and, and even um, you know Mariners were talking about how we haven't been to the playoffs in a while, but this felt like what we think the playoffs would feel like. Our fan base is starving for it. Cole was excellent. It was a bounce back start after his debacle against Seattle. 109 pitches in seven innings, and I thought he threw some really nice breaking balls and changeups late late in his outing to to get some strikeouts. 
but Castillo was just a little bit better. Um, and this was his home debut, 110 pitches over eight scoreless innings in, in his debut for the, for the Mariners at home. He looked really good. He <laughs> looked he's really a good, good pitcher. He looked really good. The, the ball was popping out of his hand. One thing I, I, was, uh, I was noticing, um, and my buddy Jim was texting me about this too, is the, his delivery, his leg kick, when, when he did, it does look like a balk. It, it did look like a balk when he threw a second. Uh, he's, he's flirting the line. There's no doubt. Obviously, they didn't see it as that, but he's got one of those very deceptive deliveries towards home plate, um, and and he's he's tough to get a read on, and the ball just pops out of his hand. Like he does look good, and he looked composed as all hell. That's what I didn't like. I didn't like how composed he looked, and he looks like a guy that's uh, that's not going to be fun to face. Yeah. So, it, and to, to Cole, Cole looked good too. To his he credit, he did. He to his credit, he looked good. He he. He he definitely nutted up for that moment for for that pitching duel, um, and and pitched very well. So you know the I know we crushed him for excellent. I the pitching staff was excellent. Him. I'm not crushing no, him. No, I'm saying we've crushed him in the past for for not being that guy. Well, he did go toe to toe with another uh, with another team's ace and and certainly lived up to the bill. Logan. Yeah, I just I the thing that annoyed me the most about the Yankees' offense against Castillo was not that they didn't hit him really because I understand that and I and I love that they that the pitching staff matched him. And I think that without Carpenter there, this is going to be a bigger issue. But yeah. they just, they weren't working up his pitch count at all. I mean, he won eight innings. I mean, the way to win that game is you got to, you know, work the count and get him out of the game as soon as possible. You know, he threw, he, he, had, he had a low pitch count the entire game, the entire game. And nobody was seeing a ton of pitches. And to me, that was like, come on, like, just like work something. Like, even if you're not getting on base, like, you know, work it a little bit. A, a guy like him too is you could go two you could go two different ways right you're trying to get you're trying to be aggressive because you're trying to jump on him when he's in the strike zone because you know if you're if you allow him to get ahead in the count a guy like Castillo you're you're in trouble as a as a hitter in in that at bat so that's one of those situations where you're damned if you do damned if you don't you're trying to be aggressive and and uh, jump on on him in the strike zone when he's there and you know he's going to be there but at the same time if you do not execute on that and you're you're running into a team that that is not executing as a, as a, as a whole team, you're going to get in the exact situation you were talking about. He's allowed to cruise into the eighth inning because his pitch count is, is very manageable. Um, so I, I do see both sides of that. And as a, as a Yankees team, we've, we've been very used to them working the count, making sure that they're, they're getting into those, uh, those favorable counts for them to do damage. And they're just, they just weren't uh, able to do that against him. Well, you know, what's actually a little bit concerning is that that is the third time that they faced Castillo since uh, the Cincinnati series when he was still with the Reds yeah. in the middle of July. So three times in basically call it four weeks that they've seen this guy, and he actually got better against them in the in the most recent yeah. start. Yeah, not not a not a great thing. And and real quick, um, IKF fifteen stolen bases tied for the lead with the Yankees. Harrison Bader, fifteen stolen bases. <laughs> <laughs> Who's well, something something tells back. me Harrison Bader is not going to be stealing more bases for the rest of the year than than IKF. Just yeah, I mean, if he's in a boot, if he's coming back from a boot and he's back, like he better be. That means he's healthy. Yeah, yeah. Um, anything else? Yeah, the carpet. Let's talk about the carpenter injury. That that sucks. Um, fractured foot uh, following a ball off of his his left foot, so his back foot. Uh, Miguel Andujar was called up. Uh, carpenter, I, I think the. Uh, the, the the x-rays weren't uh devastating the results of the x-rays i saw a report that it wasn't as bad as it could be so he thinks he'll be back this year it came back as as 
favorable as you as you could have come back uh, if if you see a fracture or a break like that. It was a clean break, so in in theory, clean breaks can heal quicker than than an ugly one. You, you know, it's a it's a it's a clean break. It's not you know broken in multiple multiple places or shattered or whatever. You're looking at something that in theory could could be stabilized and then and then heal. I think they had what six to eight weeks. So he's hopefully going to be back towards you know the the latter half of the regular season and and be healthy um, for the playoffs. Like. That was devastating. It was devastating the way you, you saw it happen because you knew it was something. Carpenter does not react that way unless something is up. Like this guy is an old school uh, dude in the sense that like you're not going to see much emotional reaction out of him unless there's either something very good or something very bad. And you could tell immediately that that it was uh, it was something concerning. So it's just a goddamn shame because I'm, you know, one. I know all of us have been just really had so much fun watching him play and come back and and, and make this uh, make this run. So I'm really hopeful that he's able to get back for the playoffs because that is something I desperately want to see. I want to see Matt Carpenter in a Yankee uniform uh, perform in the playoffs. So I really do hope he can get back. And you know that guy. He's going to do everything he possibly can to get back. You know, hopefully we're setting up like a Kirk Gibson moment here. What a world we live in. If I had told you on like April 15th that uh, a devastating Yankee injury on August 9th is going to be Matt losing Carpenter. Matt Carpenter. <laughs> You'd yeah. be like, what? What? First of all, what year is it? Right. What alternate reality have we entered? What is going yeah. on here? Yeah, no, no, it, it makes no sense. That's that's the beautiful thing about a season, right? You look at, you, you see what what we were all setting up for and we're all, we're all just we're all just uh, we're all part of the uh, the baseball world, and we're all just sitting here watching it. Whatever happens, happens. And yeah, Matt Carpenter being a New York Yankee and performing in the way he did was wild. But now my expectations are: I want to see Matt Carpenter in the playoffs because that guy's nails, and I want to see him in a situation uh, against the against the Astros and and whooping their ass. That's what I want to see. Do you want to see the Mariners in the playoffs? I don't care who I play in the playoffs. I just I, I sure, but. It's well, going to be paid. Yes. Uh, yeah. Give me anybody. I, I want to beat the Astros. Seawald could have given them a little bit of bulletin board material. He said, we don't have Aaron Judge on our team. We don't have a $35 million pitcher, but we have 26 guys that are really good. And we have and all have a key part of this team were his comments after after the series. It's a fact. <laughs> <laughs> is it so bulletin it's, it's, board it's, material or is it just like, yep, he's he's correct. Yep. I mean, all he was doing was state, it was observing, making observations. Uh, I think at that point, I mean, you could argue that. I mean, you you have you definitely have some, uh, you know, some big name guys on that team. There's no doubt that. But yeah, they just because a guy hasn't hit you know the level where he's getting paid well, yet and he's still in arbitration doesn't mean he's not the same guy. The uh, the we don't have Aaron Judge on our team is not a dig. It's like no, we don't have the best player in the league on our team. That that's no, correct. They don't. But we don't have a thirty-five million dollar pitcher. is is a little bit of a dig. I hope Garrett even, Cole sees that as a dig. I hope Garrett Cole takes that personally. Because he hope, didn't say we don't have Garrett Cole on our team. He said we don't have a thirty-five right. million dollar pitcher. But they they do, do have a pay pitch, that yet. Yeah, they do have a pitcher <laughs> who is worth that and was able to match Garrett Cole. Actually, pitch one inning better than Garrett Cole. They 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 have a guy that will get paid Garrett Cole like money. There's no doubt. They just have he just hasn't gotten to that point yet. Anyway, whatever it is, I hope that Garrett Cole sees that as a slight. I hope that Garrett Cole takes that very personally and and can manifest that in whatever the hell he does and be aggressive 
and be that uh, be that guy with a, with a chip on his shoulder because someone made fun of him because of his thirty five million dollar contract. <laughs> I, I hope I hope that I hope that he can, can take that very very personally and like an attack on his family. You know, let's let's now live it. Okay, live it. Well, you know, Paul Sewell was gonna say, "Well, we don't have a Kermit the Frog pitcher on our team," but but right. he decided to go with the thirty-five million dollars. He might as well have said that, though. Yeah. You know, might as well have said that. I think that's what he meant. Um, anything else you want to touch on from from the Seattle series? I mean, the the schedule for the Yankees is, is not getting any easier. Three at Boston, you're going to the game over the weekend, and they've got Tampa, Toronto, and the Mets before heading back out to the West Coast. So. Fifteen and nineteen since July first. They've only scored. Uh, they've scored two runs or fewer seven times in that span. The offense has been struggling. They need to get Stanton back, and the schedule is not going to get any easier over the next couple of weeks. No, I mean whether Boston is a good team or a bad team, it's still going into Fenway. It's not. It's not easy to do that, and we all know how those games go. So uh, even even though they are a last place team and, and very much struggling, and Chris Sales riding bikes while trying to come back from injuries and, and just getting... That guy's a train wreck, dude. He's a train wreck. He, he is a freaking train wreck. Like, what a disaster he is um, in so many ways. But but yeah, the uh, they're they're not a good baseball team, but it doesn't matter because Rafael Devers is on that team and and who knows what can happen. Uh, we'll see when Benintendi goes back in there. Uh, I'm excited to, to go up there. I'm going up to uh, Boston, my brother's bachelor party, taking, taking over the city for a weekend. Um, and catching that game on Saturday, so I'm excited to uh, to be there and give them all the all the business. Have you been to Fenway for a Yankee Red Sox game before? Yes. Yeah, I it's have. a really fun atmosphere. Like if you've ever, if if anyone listening has never been to Fenway Park, I, I highly recommend going. It's one of my favorite stadiums in the league. Just it, it's such a cool vibe around the stadium. I find it fun to wear Yankees gear and get jawed at. Like I've never been. You don't even by get that. jawed at. That's the thing. Like it's, you get it's a actually. Little bit. Eh, I mean, I, not as much as you used to. I uh, I would walk I've, in there as a twelve year old and have grown men yelling at me. Okay? Yes, like this back then, pre two thousand four. Correct. Okay, pre two thousand four, totally different story. Today, soft. It's soft, <laughs> very soft. Like way softer than Yankee Stadium. Not even close. Not even close. You're still getting asshole chance at Yankee Stadium. You're still getting, you're still getting, you know, ridiculed at Yankee Stadium, no matter who you are. It, it doesn't even need to be a Yankees Red Sox series. You walk in there with a Twins jersey on, you go into the, in the outfield seats, and you're getting, you're getting an asshole chant. But the Fenway, soft. Nobody says shit to me. I've, I, I told you, I've told this story when I was up there uh, when Kemp was born. I used to walk past. I used to wear Yankees gear every single day just to get a reaction. I'm literally fishing for a reaction from people. I'm being, I'm being that guy, and. Multiple times I had walked back to my apartment um, and gone against the grain, gone against the traffic of people coming out of Fenway Park when the, the game is over. I've gone against the sea. So it's me going against a current of Red Sox fans wearing Yankees things. Nobody says a word, not one word. And I'm like, what is happening here? I'm ready. I got the one-liners ready in my head to fire back, but no <laughs> one's saying shit. I was very disappointed. And then, uh, you know, going to a game, like nobody says everything's, everybody's very nice. I think it's gotten bougie. I think it's gotten too bougie. Well, they, they're There's fat and happy enough. up there. They've won a lot. Yeah. There's not enough seats there, so you can't let everybody in. You know, it's not it's not the same atmosphere. Um, it's they've definitely gotten soft. So yeah. I'm not. Uh, you know, it's a different. It's a come come to the Bronx, and it's a different story. 
I mean, then just use it as like a feel good series for the Yankees, right? Like, like beat up on a last place team. It's beating the Red Sox is always going to feel good before before you go home and, and the schedule gets tough again because the team's just not been playing well. And, you know, there, there's starting to get some concern that if the team does not have a significant stretch going into October, reminiscent of the first few months of the season, then what is this team really going to be in the playoffs? Like, what are we going to get? Is it going to be a first round exit? Because that's what they're trending like. And that's what none of us thought in, after the first three months of this season. So I just want to see them start to get when, back. When to everybody gets like healthy and, and you're seeing this team, at, you know, full, full strength as well. Again, we may be looking back at this and be like, okay, we were overreacting, but not really because you're in the moment. You have to react to what this is and they're not playing well. We're, we're lucky that Toronto also losing games when we are um, because the the lead in the division, which I'm still, I, I got to, we all got to be looking at that, right? It's it's 10 games right now. <laughs> Baltimore is, is, uh, is coming up fast, which is a wild situation to watch. They are a game and a half out of a wild card situation. Um, but when the Yankees, the Yankees have to take care of Boston. They have to take care of business against Boston, no matter where it is. It's it's a big series for them to absolutely right the ship. And it's not an easy place to do that, whether they are the last place team or not. Again, it's just, it's a it's a tough place to do that because when they go home and, and they have Tampa and then Toronto, these guys are going to be coming at you. And I, I know Tampa is not, not playing well, um, but Toronto coming in at 10 games out, they're, they, they know what they're, they know what they have to do at that point. There's a lot of pressure on them, I think, to, uh, to make a move. So it's going to be, it's going to be a tough homestand. All right. That'll wrap it up for today's episode. Thank you guys so much for listening. Scott and I are going to be recording after the final Jeter episode at, at some point. I know Scott's going to a bachelor party, so. There, there. Yeah, hopefully tomorrow. We'll see if it comes out tomorrow. I'm not sure. No promises, to be honest. We'll, but I'm going to attempt. I'm taking my gear. We will have a final Jeter episode, though. I'm very much looking forward to that final episode. The documentary has been excellent. And then we will record Monday after the Red Sox series. We will talk to you guys then. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening to the Bronx Pinstripe Show. Make sure you find us on iTunes and subscribe so you can get all new episodes directly onto your phone. If you do like the show... We'd love for you to take a minute and give us a five-star rating and review in iTunes. It really helps us out and allows us to create more shows. We're on Twitter at Bronx Pinstripes and the same on Facebook. You can always find us there talking Yankee baseball. Thanks again, guys, for your support. Really appreciate it. And go Yankees.